I have this idea that it would be a lot easier to believe in God if we were living in Bible times. I'm sure, I'm sure some of you have thought of this before. Um, there's so much distance between us and the Bible. Right, so it's names we can't pronounce and, and, and cultures that we don't recognize uh, and, and events that we can like, hardly believe even happened. But like, what if you could have seen Jesus walking on water you know, or, or stood in Solomon's temple or marched around Jericho or, or had a conversation with the Apostle Paul? I would love to have a conversation with the Apostle Paul. Doesn't it seem like believing in God is so much harder for us? Like how much easier to believe in God, to trust God, if you could have had a front row seat to the Bible. I have this idea that if I could have lived in Bible times, then when bad stuff happened in my life today, I wouldn't have that sinking feeling. You know that feeling. Uh, you, you find out that someone that you love is sick or that someone that you love is dying. It's this feeling in your gut. It's this moment of panic. Is God really here? Is God really able to do something about this? Like I have this, this sinking feeling sometimes, like, are we all alone out here? But if we could have been witnesses to the empty tomb or to Jesus raising Lazarus, or the slaying of Goliath. Like, if you saw those things with your own eyes, I feel like adversity would just, like, slide off your back. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, sure, like, I know it looks bad, but you should see what my God is capable of. I bring this up because with the exception of the, the days of Jesus walking around Galilee, there was probably no group of people who witnessed more of God's power in all of its immensity. There was probably no group of people that saw more of God's power than the Israelites marching out of Egypt. I mean, these guys, they saw it all, right? I mean, uh, they had witnessed the ten plagues. They had literally walked through a body of water that God had miraculously split in two. Every day, they were eating bread that just showed up on the ground for them to gather. There's basically no single group in all of history, who saw more of God's power regularly on display than these guys. And so, in our passage today, when they find out that they don't have water, 
I know that it's serious. But don't you expect that this group, of all groups of people, that this group would be, despite the circumstances, pretty optimistic. I mean, the way I imagine it would be, it would be like, you know, the first guy's like, hey, we're out of water. And the second guy's like, oh, we're all going to die. And the third guy's like, I like the third guy. He's like, hey, you know, guys, I know this is a bad situation, but I was thinking, we've been in bad situations before. Like, uh, like in the chapter before this one. And, uh, and in the chapter before that. And uh, come to think of it, the chapter before that one too. And, well, really, also the, I mean, also the chapter before that one. Like, so I know that this is bad, I mean, but maybe. I mean, I'm just thinking, maybe God will help us. Because, like, he kind of does that, like, every time we're in trouble. Doesn't that sound like, like what you wish they'd say? But instead, what happens? The Bible says they quarreled with Moses. It's a mean word, quarrel. Um, in Hebrew, it's a legal word. It means to initiate a legal proceeding. Uh, basically, they want to charge Moses with a crime. I'm guessing something like criminal negligence for the mess that he got them in. To quarrel with someone means you want to take them to court. And if you think I'm exaggerating, look at verse 4. Uh, Moses says about the people, he says, they're almost ready to stone me. Which means they're not just taking him to court, they're seeking the death penalty. And you want to be like, Really, Israel? Really? It was like less than two chapters ago that you were in pretty much exactly the same situation and God totally hooked you up. Right? But now this time, this time, it's, it's totally different. What is this? Like 25 out of 25 times God has showed up right when you needed him. 25 out of 25 times he came through, and it's the 26th time. And I get it. Things look bleak. I get that. But your conclusion is, well, it just goes to show you can't trust God. Of all people, the Israelites should have had hope. I mean, they had witnessed all these amazing things. Most of this stuff has just happened in the last couple of months. I mean, it's not like this was years ago. Last couple of months. Of all people, surely they, when faced with adversity, would be like, you know, it does look bad. But it's looked bad before. And God has not failed us yet. 
Of all people, it would be Israel. For all the ways God has been there for them, how could they doubt him? How could they mess this up? This week I got to thinking about my summer. Uh, it's been a bit of an anxious summer for me. Uh, not even so much because of the, the baby, but like even here at church, like we're behind in our budget. And like we got all these question marks about specifics with youth ministry. And I still wish there were more like small groups, Bible studies, things like that. And I worry about people I haven't seen in a while. And, like, none of these things are, like, the biggest things in the world. But they're serious. I mean, they're serious for us. And to be honest, there's a part of me that it has been, like, a little frustrated with this uh, 100th anniversary stuff. Uh, I mean, some of us have put a a ton of work into it, uh, much more than I have. Uh, But some days I think, like, is this all, like, a big distraction I mean, there are all these important things we should be doing, all these big issues that need attention. And, and sometimes, sometimes I look around, I feel like, like I'm in crisis mode here. I'm in crisis mode here, and we're planning a party? Like, we're making a book? I've been kind of cynical. But this week, I, I became aware of... Uh, became aware of a certain irony. Uh, You see, precisely because it is the 100th anniversary, uh, I've been hearing all these stories all summer long. All these stories about desperate times in the past. Uh, All these desperate times in the past in our church when things looked really bad. Short on the budget, we've been there. Worried about youth programs, we've been there. Fearing change in the neighborhood, we've been there. Wondering where people are at, we've been there. Again and again in the history of this church, there have been desperate times. Times when it looked like we just can't go on, there's too many question marks, there's too many problems. And now some folks have been gathering these stories in a book. 100th anniversary book. And there's a theme to these stories, spoiler alert. Uh, Basically, all the stories are about how God has been faithful in difficult times. And this past week, one morning, I was sitting there, and I I was literally reading the book on God's faithfulness in our church. I got... I was literally reading the book on God's faithfulness in the morning. And in the afternoon, same day, a couple hours later, I was despairing. Just, I, I just couldn't see a solution to the youth thing, and I thought, we're finished. And you say, like, of all people, of all people, the pastor of Creston Church, reading the 100th anniversary book. Like, of all people, he should have had hope. 
I mean, we have witnessed all these amazing things. Like of all people, surely we, surely the pastor, when faced with adversity, would be like, you know, it does look bad. But it's looked bad before. And God has not failed us yet. Of all people, how could I mess this up? Well, dear friends, there's this thing about human nature. Maybe you've heard this too. I, I have heard that, I've heard that it takes seven compliments to have the same impact as one criticism. So, uh, in other words, like if someone says something mean to you, uh, it'll take seven different people saying something nice to offset that one mean thing. And for me, that sounds about right. Um, I can hear all the compliments in the world for all sorts of things. It has almost no effect on me. Uh, But if I hear one piece of kind of nasty criticism, I'm devastated. And it stays with me. It's all I can think about. The idea behind the, the seven compliments principle is that we human beings have very short, and kind of fuzzy memories of good stuff. Uh, So we don't remember compliments. We don't remember God's faithfulness. Uh, We have very short, kind of fuzzy memories of good things. But we have very long and very precise memories of bad stuff. Which means, even if God has been faithful 25 out of 25 times... The, the 26th time comes around, and almost by instinct, we despair. And it makes me wonder, like, if God's own people, the Israelites, couldn't get this right. If God's own people, Creston Church, couldn't get this right. Is there anyone who can? Funny you should ask. Uh, There's another story in the next chapter. Uh, I find it very interesting. Uh, It's chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian. Remember this guy? He's Moses' father-in-law. Okay. Jethro, not with the Israelites. He's been doing his own thing uh, in the desert. He, uh, he hears about some of the stuff God's been doing. And he's like, I'm going to go check in with my son-in-law, sort of see what's up. And so chapter 18, verse 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they greeted each other and, and then went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships that they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel and rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. And he said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. 
For he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. And then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. Y'all remember, got to go back a little ways. Y'all remember what God's stated purpose was, like for all these sort of spectacular miracles in Exodus? It's in chapters 6 and 7, if you want to look it up. Why does God keep rescuing his people in these dramatic ways? He says it a bunch of times. God says, it is so that the world may know, so that the world may know that I am the Lord, your God. What does Jethro say when he hears what God has done? And he says, praise be to the Lord who rescued you. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods. What's happened here? What Israel was unable to notice, having actually lived this experience, Jethro notices immediately just by hearing about it. He hears the stories and he understands immediately how to interpret them. He's like, wow, your God is amazing. Like, like he's the greatest God around. Jethro gets so excited by how amazing God is. He's like, can I just like make an offering like right here, like a sacrifice? Would that be cool? Right? Your God is incredible. That is how you're supposed to respond to God's like repeated faithfulness. Israel responds with doubts and fears and a lawsuit, right? Jethro responds with amazement and and praise and a burnt offering. Now, how did Jethro How did Jethro get this right while Israel, like, languished in despair? What makes Jethro so special? Well, here's the thing about Jethro. We don't really know anything about Jethro. Well, we we know a few things. First of all, he's a pagan, he's a pagan priest. It's always a plus for this sort of thing. Um, well, he's not a Jewish priest, right? I'm guessing he's probably some kind of witch doctor. Be like the closest sort of parallel I can think of. Probably worshipped all kinds of gods. You'd be like, wait a minute. Like, how could a, how could a pagan priest get the right response like when Israel couldn't? Well, think about this. If he were like a kind of pagan priest,
We've never much considered any other options. But Jethro has. Jethro has considered the other options, right? He works with them all the time. He's seen it all, but when he hears what Israel's God is like, he's like, dang. That's the real thing. This is part of what's so great about new believers. I remember a friend of mine, he became a Christian. He walked around with his Bible, and, and he was like, have you read this? This is amazing. Like, I've never read anything like this before. And I was like, yeah, sure, man. Like, it's the Bible. It's cool. He's like, no, this is amazing. When you live your life without this God, and you find him, you're like, wow, this is really great. Thank you. 
is precisely God's goodness for you. What if God needed you to have more time for your friends or, or for your neighbor in trouble? Like, we think God can only be good if he answers prayers the way we expect it. Real God faithful again. Because there's nothing, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And it might not go the way that you expect it. But he will get us home.